We're going to hear the word of God now, so I'm just going to invite Pastor Chris up. Give him a hand as he comes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Love that response. This morning we're starting on our trip through the Ten Commandments on commandment number four. And to start, I'm going to ask you three questions. And I want honest answers. Do you want to get closer to God? Do you want your children to get closer to God? Do you want your family, friends, colleagues, acquaintances to get closer to God? Now you see, that's the sort of answer I'd expect if I asked a group of Crow supporters whether they wanted Port Power to win the flag. (laughs) That's the sort of answer I wanted when I said, do you want to get closer to God? I mean, what are we here for? I mean, is it just to, play, just to play loud music and sing? Take up an offering? Do some administrative stuff? Talk about what we're doing during the week? Well, that's part of it. But I'd have thought, as Christians, the whole reason behind our existence is to get closer to God. The second reason behind our existence is to bring other people closer to God. So do you want to get closer to God? Yes. Do you want your children whether they're close or not, to get closer to God? And do you really want your friends, your family, your acquaintances, your colleagues, and anybody else to get to know God? I think you don't sound too sure about this. I mean, in a Christian church, I would expect that if I asked people whether they wanted to get closer to God or not, they'd be standing on the seats saying, tell us more. Let us know. How are we going to do this? We're excited. Please, what are the secrets? So, where am I? Now, do you really want to know how to get closer to God? Yes. Right. <laughs> okay, so who knows that we're moving into a, a new area here in the commandments. We, uh, for those of you who don't know, we started at 10 and we're moving towards 1. We're nothing if not backward. And I don't know whether you've noticed, but all the way from commandment 10 down to commandment 5... They have all been concerned about our relationships with one another. You know, you're not coveting your neighbor's good. That's another person, your neighbor. You're not to murder. That's somebody else you're not supposed to kill. You're not supposed to commit adultery with somebody else. It's all about other people. None of these are with God. It's not saying do not murder God. <laughs> good luck if you try. Um, but that's, that's not what they talk about. But you see, today... With commandment four, we move into a totally different realm of the commandments. Because if commandments five to ten are there to bring us closer to one another, then commandments one to four are to bring us closer to God. And so let's have a look at the fourth commandment, shall we? Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, But the seventh is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day 
and set it apart as holy. Now I can hear some of you thinking, what? we're getting to the sharp end of the commandments here. And you bring us this commandment that God has actually had to command us to take a day off? Who needs a, an order to take a day off? <laughs> well, yes, you might well say, perhaps some people do. Or does this commandment mean something a little more than just downing tools, sipping a, a cool one under a shady umbrella on a beach somewhere? Possibly not. Interesting thing is that this commandment is reiterated a little further on in Deuteronomy. So let's read what it says there. In Deuteronomy 5 verse 12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Sounds pretty much the same. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedica dedicated to the Lord your God. Sounds pretty similar so far, doesn't it? On that day, no one in your household may do any work, this includes you, your sons and daughters, male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys, other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. Pretty much the same. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Now that was a bit different. You can sense here there's a slight maturation in the way the Israelites are looking at the commandment. Because remember when it was first given to them, they'd just escaped from Egypt and they were just learning who their God was. A bit further down the track, they've suddenly had a revelation that it was God who saved them from Egypt. And so they've, they've added another angle into why the Sabbath is important. Interestingly, this is the longest commandment now, if you sort of think of that, you th think, well, if it's the longest, God probably wanted to make it pretty clear about what we were supposed to do. In fact, if you read elsewhere, there's a little bit tacked on that says, if you do not observe the Sabbath, you will be put to death. So if you didn't rest, you got your head chopped off. I'd rest. <laughs> hey, you don't have to tell me twice. But it was also interesting that it is the only commandment not reinforced in the New Testament. In fact, this is the only thing Jesus said about it in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus said to them, and he's talking to the Pharisees here, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Which is sort of an interesting turnaround. But I believe there's, there's four things we can get from these pas three passages of Scripture. The first is that the Sabbath is a day of rest. That's pretty clear, isn't it? So, how does that affect us? Well, we found out that the Sabbath is connected to creation. Is that right? That's what we, I read, I'm pretty sure. And it says that God worked for six days and rested on the seventh. We were created in God's image. He's asked us, to mod he's modelled something for us to follow, that we work for six days and we rest on the seventh. Now, whether, whether you're going to argue about whether it was six 24-hour periods or whatever, I think th it's not the point. The point is that the creation was done in such a way that God's creation models God. Have you noticed that 
there are cycles in creation there's a rhythm of creation I mean just look at the seasons the great thing is winter is over but guess what winter will be back (laughs) but luckily we get to go through spring and summer and autumn before it does but who knows that it happens on a regular basis in fact once a year yeah in the same three months of that year it's amazing and so our life is made to, to have similar cycles who knows that farmers don't harvest all year round they take a rest in winter and then they sow in spring harvest in summer clean up the mess in autumn I'm not quite exactly sure what they do because I'm not one (laughs) I can tell you what happens on a vineyard but I'm not sure that that's the same but the rhythm of life includes rest therefore God has modeled for us the idea that rest is an essential part of our life which is really hard to grasp for those of us who work seven days a week or at least attempt to I've discovered in talking and going to conferences and things that I I have a title I am a bivocational pastor which is a fancy way of saying I have another job (laughs) but I like the way it sounds I know some people who are trivocational This just means they're trying too hard. (laughs) But I have come to, I mean, one of the reasons that there is so much burnout of pastors in the ministry, the the statistics from the United States are, are horrifying. Something like 140 pastors a month resign from the ministry. Um, And it's mainly because they work too long. They don't know how to rest. And so I've made sure that I don't want to be one of those. I like to include rest in my life. But funny as that may sound, my wife has to beat me around the head sometimes to make me do it. Um, But it's been modelled by God himself in the creation of us, in the creation of the universe. Rest is important. The second thing we've discovered is that the Sabbath is holy. What does that mean? I mean, it's a great word to throw around, you know, we're God's holy people. Church is a holy place. You know, we, we enter into holy matrimony. Some people's weddings have holes all through it, but I'm not sure that's what it means. The fact that it's holy is all, all to do with our attitude. The Sabbath is somewhere for us to focus on God. Because who, who knows? I've discovered God is holy. Has anybody else found this? If you want to be holy, the the best person, in fact, the only person to focus on is Jesus because he's holy. You know, some, you'd like to focus on David. But I've discovered that sometimes David is not holy. Liz told me all about it. <laughs> sometimes the only thing she says is that he's a holy terror. <laughs> but people, we, and not just David in particular, I'm not picking on him. Uh, well, I am. Um, but none of us are completely holy. And yet, the thing is that God sees us through rose-coloured glasses and tells us that we are. And the only way to actually implement that holiness that's been bestowed on us is to focus on Jesus himself. So the Sabbath is a day where we're called to actually focus on God. The idea of not working is to actually put away the things of the world. 
It's a time to be intimate with Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of confusion about intimacy. Especially, I reckon, over the last decade or two, there's been a move towards personal intimacy with God. And we, we, we quote things like, well, you know, we need to get into the prayer closet and pray alone. And I've had, you know, hours of alone time with God this week and I've been praying and he's been answering my prayers and I've got great words and visions that have come to me in my personal prayer time. And that is essential and great. But people say, well, did you come to church on Sunday? And they say, well, no, because I'm, I'm into my personal navel-gazing relationship with Jesus Christ. But Jesus says there is no such thing as just a personal navel-gazing relationship with him. He has called his church into being on this planet because his church is his way of reaching the world. He doesn't say the individual navel-gazer is the way of reaching the world. He says his church, which means that he has called us to come into community, which we're doing here today. So I'm preaching to the choir, really. Although some of you think you're the choir. Um, what I mean is the converted. Um, and we're called together to have intimacy with God together. And a lot of people have forgotten that that's part of God's plan. There's been that hierarchy, you know, you put importance of, of things on your list. There's God, church, family, job. Well, some people would put God, family, church, job. Some people would put job, God, church, family. But I've come to the realization you can't separate God and church. Church is not just an accessory to God. Church is an essential part of intimacy with Jesus Christ. In fact, there's a post I read on Facebook this morning. Not that I was on Facebook, but I was, all right. Um, that says there is no Christian without church. Sometimes we've got so skewed to the whole idea of our individual relationship with Jesus Christ, we've forgotten the fact that he actually came here to build his church. Jesus died for his church. He died for you and me, but he died for something bigger than us. And I, I love my, Vicky loves to say, you know, when Jesus saved you, he had someone else in mind. Because it's not about us as individuals, it's about his church. So it's a holy day, and we're called not only to be intimate with God on a personal level, but we're actually called to come together in community and worship God. The Sabbath also celebrates our deliverance. Now for the Israelites, that was their deliverance from Egypt. For us though, it's something even bigger. It's our deliverance from sin and death. We're here to celebrate what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us to rescue us from eternal damnation. I mean, that's you know, the Sabbath is a time to celebrate. Celebrate, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's better. And it's, you know, we talked about how, how God is, is in the silence, but he's also in the celebration. I'll talk a bit about the difference between silence and celebration in a minute. But it's about our deliverance. That's, that's something we should be excited about. It's worth celebrating. You know, we do it in different ways. Communion is another way we celebrate our deliverance. But we come together in one place, with one mind, with one purpose, to celebrate the fact that we are God's sons and daughters. Love that song. The fourth thing is... And this is the really hard thing. The Sabbath 
is for our benefit. We look at the Ten Commandments and we see a list of rules. And I don't know about you, but often we look at rules and rules are for the benefit of the rule giver. And look at speed cameras. No matter whether you were speeding or not, or whether you think you were, because you probably were, the tendency is to blame the government or the police or whatever for revenue raising because you got caught on a speed camera. It's their fault. They are the bad people. And the fact that you broke the law has absolutely nothing to do with it because it's all for their benefit. They just happened to catch you at a weak moment when you were doing your usual 110 in a 60 zone. <laughs> that's, a, that's what a lot of people think. Again, I read a post on Facebook this morning from a certain individual who was complaining bitterly about the fact that his car was stopped and he was made to walk home because of several unpaid fines. And so he had a rant about the police, thinking, pay the fines. <laughs> Don't get the fines. Who knows, it's much cheaper not to get any fines. And the only way, way you find that out is you get them. You think, never doing that again. <laughs> not least till I'm earning a lot more money than I am now. So, <laughs> no, actually, that, that didn't come out quite the way <laughs> I meant that. <laughs> no, actually, yeah, scrub that from the tape. That, that, was, that was my naughty side coming out there, very unexpectedly. <laughs> the Sabbath is not meant to be a burden imposed on us. But too many of us look at the idea of having a day set aside where we celebrate God, a day where we're possibly obliged to go to church, a day where we have to mix with people who aren't necessarily the same as us. You know, you're a weird mob. You're welcome. But to us sometimes that's an imposition. It's another duty we have to fulfill. It's another stress on our life. But God says, if you don't do these things, your life is going to be one screwed up, rotten mess. And you just have to look outside the church to see that that's true. Unfortunately, if we don't get that, that sort of mess exists inside the church as well. Because we, we just look at our duty to God. But we have had a day of rest ordained for us because it is good for us. In fact, not just good. It's not just ch the cherry on top. It's actually part of the cake. It's part of our framework that we work better, we play better, we relate better. We do everything better if we take care of ourselves and have a day dedicated to God. And it doesn't have to be onerous. I mean, hey, the worship was great this morning. We need to celebrate that. Now, they, may not have, they may not have sung your favourite song this morning. No, no, mine wasn't there. Now, I could choose to get miffed about that. <laughs> I could speak to the music director, but as he said, do I look bothered? <laughs> I mean, in some ways you could say, well, you've got a, a position of privilege. You could demand your favourite song on a Sunday. But I think that would be an abuse of, of power that I don't have because George would say, don't think so. <laughs> Who, you made me music director. Did you give me the power to make choice or just the title? 
and he'd have me there. But where was I going with that? <laughs> I, was just having a, I was just having a good time. Yeah, the worship was good. Um, uh, you may not have had your favourite song sung. You may not have had your favourite worship leader leading worship. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> you may not have even felt like singing. But sometimes we need to actually get over those things. In fact, most of the time we need to get over ourselves. Sometimes we're the biggest problem we have in this world. And release ourselves to be in God's presence. I mean, we need to come believing that God is in every song we sing. God is in every word preached. God is in the atmosphere in this place. And if we're to survive, if we're to thrive in this world, we need to be in God's presence as much as we can. And that's why it's good. We need to make sure that we're placing an emphasis on this day of rest that is actually above everything else. And I know some of you are thinking, you don't know how hard that is. I've got kids who play sport on the weekends and a lot of it's on Sunday. You sort of think, perhaps we should, perhaps we should raise a petition and have the government ban sporting events on Sundays so that we can have our day of rest. Wouldn't work. I don't advise it. No. In fact, most people wouldn't do it. But I think we have to, and I'm not going to get into this now because I, I think this is a, a topic for another time, but we actually also have to get a, out of this idea of thinking that Sunday is the Sabbath. Because it's not. Saturday is the Sabbath, if we're being strictly Jewish about it but that that was actually one of the things that Jesus talked about when he said the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people not people the requirements of the Sabbath your Sabbath can actually be any day now the reason it's Sunday for us is that that happens to be the best day for us to get together and worship but do you know that in the days of the early church Sunday was a work day so when the early Christians started worshiping on Sunday the reason they had morning and evening services was because they worked between them. They got up early, went to church and went to work. I won't go into that. There's a whole different aspect of that. But the thing is, why do we need the Sabbath? And I think there's one scripture that actually gives us that in a, in a, in a nutshell. And that's in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. And this is where... Elijah, who knows the prophet Elijah? You've heard of him in the Old Testament? He was this gutsy guy who took on the prophets of Baal and challenged them to a duel. He said, you set up an altar and uh, you set it all up with the wood and everything. You call down fire from Baal to light your offering. And so 400 prophets of Baal get there and they start chanting. Nothing happens. So he says, okay, I'll build an altar and I'll put wood on it and then you can pour water all over everything so it's really wet and we'll see if God lights my, my altar and sort of God who knows that God doesn't do things by halves he, he not only burnt the altar he incinerated 400 prophets along with it which made Elijah extremely unpopular and so Queen Jezebel sent him a message and said look I saw what you did I'm coming after you and so this is Elijah who's, who's just 
through the hand, the hand of God killed 400 prophets and some queen says, well, I'm coming after you. And so what does he do? He stands there and says, my God is stronger than you. I'm not bowing down. No, he squeals like a girl and runs. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, I mean, let's not be sexist. He squeals like a little person. <laughs> Child under the age of six, either gender. <laughs> God, <laughs> <dear> wit. <laughs> And it wasn't child abuse either, so good grief. you can't say anything these days, can you? Yeah, squeals like a man. Yeah, anyway, he ran. I don't know whether he squealed, it's not in the Bible either, but he did run. He ran for a long, long time. It was 40 days, he was exhausted, he probably couldn't even squeak at the end of it, never mind squeal. So he goes to a mountain. And he's crying out to God. He wants to hear from God. And so God tells him, he says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And Elijah stood there and the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. All the New Zealanders said, Amen. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now that in itself is worthy of a, a great message. But, but the point of this is, is that God spoke to Elijah and said, okay, what are you going to listen to to hear my voice? And he sent a rushing wind. Who knows the Holy Spirit is like a rushing wind. But he sent a wind strong enough to rip the rocks off the side of the mountain. Who's ever been through circumstances that feel a bit like that? You're being tossed and turned. There are rocks flying everywhere. You're doing your best just to duck so that you don't get brained by this boulder life can be like that but that's not where God wants to talk to you there can be an earthquake upheavals in your life circumstances that are rocking you to the core that are clamoring for your attention because who knows earthquakes can be very destructive and we worry about that but God isn't in the earthquake a roaring fire goes past who likes fire legally of course It's comforting looking into the flames of a campfire is a great, great thing. I know that Dean putting, knows that putting them out can be intensely satisfying as well. But God is not in the fire. And then there was a gentle whisper. And God was in that. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to be physically quiet to hear from God. Now, sometimes that's a good idea, but I don't believe that's what the Scripture is saying. A lot of people talk about the whole idea of be quiet and let God. And, that, and that's a good idea, especially in personal prayer. Sometimes it's good if you zip your lip and just wait for God to speak. But what he's saying in this Scripture is don't let circumstances or the outside world dictate your relationship with God. Don't look for God in the wind. Don't combine looking for God with the things that are changing your life. Don't 
we're in the middle of upheaval. Don't, don't start looking for God and believing, well, he's brought this upheaval, so it must be God. Might be, but who cares? You're just called to overcome the upheaval, not to question who, who brought it. The, the fire, things are being burnt. We get excited about that. We look for God in that. This scripture says, ignore the outside world, focus on God, and he will speak to you. Simple as that. God wasn't in all the external things that Elijah went through on that mountaintop. But when Elijah could put all of those out of his mind, ignore them, forget them, then God spoke to him. That is a picture of the Sabbath. It's not about sitting quietly in a corner and contemplating God. It's actually about putting aside all the winds and the earthquakes and the fires of the outside world of what's happening in your life and say okay just for this day just for the sabbath those things do not exist in my life but god jesus it is you that i'm focusing on that's what the sabbath is it's a time when the the problems of life are put aside our physical art i mean god can give you the answers when you're focusing on him sometimes and not the problem when we've run out of our strength, it's his we get to lean on. Church is a great place for doing that. Because God modelled something. He modelled a day of rest so that we would follow. If we want people to understand the power, the majesty, the love and the grace of God, we have to model that too. What are we telling our friends about our spiritual life? That we like God but don't like church? That we have private prayer time but we don't belong to a part of a community? Or are people seeing that, this, that we actually encompass everything that God has asked us to do? That we are a complete whole, that we understand that our day of rest is not just a day of lying in bed. And Sunday sleep in, a lot of Christians think that's what the day of rest means. But it actually means getting rid of the earthquakes, the wind and the fire. Actually, there was a band called Earth, Wind and Fire. And focusing on what God is doing. Sometimes that just means focusing on God's people. Part of that means praising God's name. But it's a focus on God. I want us to practice that just for a little bit. I've got a bit of time remaining. Can I get the worship team to come up? I want us to sing that song that we sang first today that celebrates the fact that we are God's children, that we are his sons and daughters, and that sometimes we actually need a kick in the pants to start acting like it, that we need to appreciate it. Come on, let's stand.